from the studios of WBAA Public Radio in West Lafayette, this is Indiana Public Broadcasting's monthly conversation with Purdue University President Mitch Daniels. I'm Stan Jastrzewski. Thanks for listening on your Indiana Public Broadcasting station. If ever you have a question you'd like to be sure to get on the program, email that to ask at wbaa.org. And you can tweet your questions at WBAA News on Twitter. So we're taping the show just after Purdue's winter graduation. You were telling me before last month's program that your way of doing it is becoming a little bit less common. Is that right? I think very rare is is the right description. I haven't asked for a tabulation recently, but of, among schools our size, very, very few still celebrate uh, each individual student as, as we do. Most of the rest do them in groups or in uh, separate ceremonies or... Uh, uh, ways like that. As, as you know, it, we had two ceremonies uh, this um, December and uh, others in, uh, in August. And then, of course, six, takes six in May presently. A lot of hard work goes into it. The people who put it together, are um, I, I'm very grateful to. I'm very glad we do it this way. But it is, it is extra work and some extra expense. But, um, but I hope we never get away from it. That uh, When I see and greet those young people um, who have worked so hard. I, I feel like they're fully entitled to being honored individually, and um, long as I have a say in it, we'll, we'll keep doing that. Obviously, the, the student body has been growing in the last couple of years. Does that mean you're going to have to add more graduations later on? Well, we've added we've added some. We've, uh, we, we grew to six maybe two years ago, and we're sort of stretched there. Um, uh, one answer to that is uh, is um, to uh, trim the number of visitor seats that each student gets, or and we have overflow rooms where people essentially see the same thing on a screen, on a big somewhere. screen. They see just as much honestly as people in Elliott Hall. Uh, but uh, no, we're um, with our growth and our determination to honor each individual student. We are straining capacity for some of those ceremonies, but um, we'll deal with it as we have in the past. And I, again, I, I think it's important, whatever choice others are making, I think it's an important uh, part of the Purdue character and culture that we that we continue to do this. On to other things, uh, you recently received an award from the National Defense Industrial Association for Purdue's push toward getting more investment from the defense industry and supporting defense research on campus. That became especially timely, I thought, because Governor Holcomb announced as part of his 2020 legislative priorities list that he wants to get a massive increase, if he can, in defense spending in the state, which is something Purdue has already tried to do on a campus-wide basis. Have you and he talked about this at all? Sure, a little bit, and, and collaborated on a couple of things. I mean, the, the, the decision, for instance, by Saab to come here was uh, something we worked with the state on. It was both an industrial investment decision that that company made, but also a research decision. And I, I think that was, frankly, the uh, decisive factor in their picking Indiana, not somewhere else. And so uh, we hope there'll be ma- many more of those. Our new... Um, uh, leader for of research, Dr. Teresa Mayer, uh, uh, first of all, has an extensive background in this area during her great career at Penn State and later Virginia Tech. And um, just as her predecessors saw that we were, that we, Purdue, were not uh, achieving what we should in the life sciences area, 
National Institutes of Health, and so forth. And we've had a substantial increase there. We've made some investments in new faculty and, and in uh, facilities and, and uh, created those new institutes you're aware of. And, and so we, we did see a, a, a substantial growth there. Teresa Mayer thinks we have that same opportunity in the national defense area. When you stop and think about produce tremendous intellectual depth and history, in areas like uh, uh, aerospace, for instance, in all its dimensions, um, uh, we really have a great opportunity, and some of us would say a duty, to support the national security where some of these um, issues are foremost these days. So in terms of the money that can be made, clearly there's a lot of money out there for, for national defense. Do you have to be a little bit careful about how you get positioned as a university? Because I think the, the companies, the Northrop Grumman's of the world, are looked at very differently than academic institutions in terms of the job that is done to support the national defense industry. Do you have to be a little bit careful about how you go about that? I don't think any more careful than in any other area. We have very strict... Uh, uh, conflict of interest uh, rules, of course, and and uh, research integrity rules uh, that apply across the field of research. I don't think it's particularly different here. Uh, I, for one, think it's a, a, a point of pride, or w- will be a point of pride, if Purdue can bring its uh, academic, intellectual um, um, uh, credentials or talents to bear on some of these um, issues, which... Um, you know, it's correctly been said, the first duty of government is the safety and security of its people. And so uh, hard to identify a purpose uh, more uh, important or even noble for us to participate in if we can. With respect to the money, there are definitely people out there who point out that the U.S. spends more on national defense than next so many other countries put together, and that people have said, look, especially as we're facing, um, you know, potential insolvency for Social Security and other things, maybe you could take money away from national defense, shift it around in the federal budget. As the university and the state try to go after a larger piece of the national defense pie, do you have to be a a little mindful of that that overarching national debate of how much we spend on national defense. Well, th- those are decisions for others to make. I'll just point out we're spending a smaller percentage of the national budget on defense now than we have almost ever. And um, within that budget, a huge percentage of it doesn't go to hardware. It doesn't go to research. It goes to people, health care and uh, so forth. Uh, and benefits and pay, and that's fine. But um, I think on close inspection, uh, particularly with the emergence of genuine threats to this country, we thought for a little window of time, as some people had written, that history had ended and we were due for a long, long stretch of peace, no great power uh, um, competition or threats. Well, that's all behind us now, and we there are there are perhaps three at least countries, uh, maybe more, with uh, very dangerous capabilities who um, seem to uh, wish us ill. And so... Uh, and well, and in I, fact, when, when then-Director of National Intelligence Dan Coats was on campus a few months ago, he talked about threats from North Korea. He was... He, he, he alluded to Russia. He didn't say much about it. But did you think that you have to also be wary of then 
making Purdue on the putting Purdue on the radar of people who might, especially through cyber and things like that, want to harm the country, and thus you have to defend yourself a little more because of that? That's an interesting question. I mean, first of all, any large institution these days, especially a place where a lot of research happens, doesn't it doesn't matter whether you're in this space or not. We have constant attempts to uh, intrude on our cyberspace, uh, and um, uh, we're uh, doing more all the time to try to guard against that and and to be secure on this campus so that people don't walk off with secrets, whether they have anything to do with national offense, they might have to do with commercial uh, and technological uh, innovations that somebody else would like to steal and and take advantage of for free. So I would say that the threat level or the level of concern we feel is steadily rising. And uh, if we over time, uh, our uh, faculty and students are chosen to do more defense work. I guess that'll just add another layer of, of uh, reason for concern. Not a defense topic, but sort of a diplomacy topic. Your engineering dean, Meng Chang, is going to work for the State Department. That's another way, obviously, of having influence on the, the world stage and on how the U.S. is perceived. What is his main goal in doing so? Patriotism. He is very... Um, feels very strongly that um, the, that the next uh, few years, um, the, the years in, including the one we're in right now, will be pivotal in determining whether the uh, particularly the electronics of the future and the, the technologies which uh, not just of communication but of which uh, are going to bind together all sorts of uh, all the systems really of a modern economy will be safe and secure for Americans to use or whether they will become instruments of, um, of advantage for other countries. And uh, he's um, remarkably well uh, uh, prepared to make a real contribution here. This is someone who won the Waterman Prize as the number one scientist in America under the age of 40 and his field of specialization is electrical and computer engineering. So I understand why the State Department wanted him as its principal scientific advisor. There are a lot of jokes, Stan, about mixed feelings, and I won't tell any here, but I certainly have those in this case. We're very proud that one of our hours was selected and invited to do this, and I admire him for his willingness to do so. It's going to involve some real personal sacrifice and and difficulty, time away from family, and among other things. But um, on the other hand, he's done a terrific job in his in a couple years here as our leader of engineering. I believe we are on our way to do something no one, no other university has uh, truly done, and that is achieve, in Mung's words, excellence at scale. And we are now the largest engineering college in the top ten, and. Um, uh, he has very high aspirations so uh, to, do, to do better than that. And so um, uh, we're happy for him or proud of him, but reluctant about this. Thank goodness we have a spectacular, uh, towering, really, um, intellectual figure in that department who has agreed to take on the uh, interim assignment. And um, so that I feel better about it. Now that um, Dr. Mark Lundstrom has agreed to that, 
but um, uh, still uh, uh, very pleased that Hmong is is just as determined to stay in touch and to come back to us as he was to take this job. This is Indiana Public Broadcasting's monthly conversation with Purdue University President Mitch Daniels. You can email questions to ask at WBAA.org and tweet them at WBAA News on Twitter. You and I were talking on the show last month about how the university has begun to, at a more granular level, look at the uh, personal electric vehicles, the scooters, the motorized skateboards, and and try to quantify what's going on with them, how many people are using them, where are they getting used, are they p- people getting into accidents, and if so, where. And in the interim, from last month's show to this month, you announced the creation of a task force to, to do some more study on this. Mm-hmm. How are you going to assemble it, and what are the main things they need to find out for you. Right. We've asked our public safety folks to help lead it, but I want its, co- but its co-chair is going to be our student trustee, uh, who, uh, because the, the voice of the student has to be a, a, a very a big part of uh, this conversation and, and any change that we might decide to make. We may, dis- we may listen, gather the evidence and everyone's point of view and decide, well, we'll stay where we are and just have everybody try to rem- keep reminding people to be careful. But uh, I I think it's a good time with you and I are talking here on a day when there's snow all over the ground and some ice on the pavement. And uh, so um, uh, the, the next stretch here, there'll be uh, less of this uh, um, mode of transportation going on. And maybe we can use that time to see if there are some adjustments we could make that'll keep people a little safer. We have had a lot of incidents and a couple of them pretty darn serious. I was at a um, regular meeting of Big Ten universities just a um, week or two ago, and this came up spontaneously, uh, and then we had a little discussion about it. It came up hard... as happening at other universities, too? Yeah, I don't know if anybody's uh, taken quite the step we've taken, but... Um, Somebody asked if if anyone was having a concern or a problem, and it turns out on most of our, our large campuses, to one extent or another, yeah, this uh, uh, this is uh, been a fast growing phenomenon between the scooters and the new individual individually owned um, uh, modes of conveyance, and uh, you know, a, a couple of the schools that I was talking to. Uh, uh, have a whole lot more hills and up and down than we do here. And they say that adds another level of problems because even the non-motorized kind get going pretty fast with a little gravity involved. So we're not alone in this, and um, don't we haven't prejudged anything, but um, I do think if we can get an all an all-parties conversation, I mean students, staff, faculty, um, uh, looking and our public safety people, looking at the data and considering options that we might not have uh, employed or thought about before, we might we might come up with a an arrangement that, that protects people a little bit better. Let me ask a little bit about that uh, makeup of the committee because I imagine that, uh, and I, I imagine that, that the conversations that I've heard around the campus are are somewhat similar to what the the committee is going to hear, which is. The students tend to feel a little bit differently about these things than the the faculty and the staff do, um, and you tend to see a something of an age difference at the people who are using, you know, the cars versus the skateboards. How do you accurately represent what might be two fairly competing ways of looking at 
how you regulate, if at all, these forms of transportation. I hope maybe the group can come to some agreement among themselves that balances the interests. I mean, um, students, um, the students who are using them, I know, feel that they are an advantage, but um, that doesn't mean that that uh, they're not a little concerned about the possibility of of getting hurt as they see it happening to others. We'll, we'll just have to to see what the what the group I hope this is as open a process as we can run this is one subject that literally everybody here probably has some viewpoint some stake in so let's hear from everybody and um, um, see if we can't uh, maintain the added uh, convenience that these things can bring while reducing the number of of injuries and problems that uh, have been creeping up on us there are of course, like as on many campuses, bike lanes all over the place on Purdue's campus. And I started to think about whether this might be another way of thinking about transportation. You've talked about trying to develop parts of campus where people maybe don't need cars. You mm-hmm. can walk or you can bike easily from work to play and such. Uh, is there a is there a conversation that could happen about whether you need to carve out a couple of lanes here and there for these sorts of transportation that keep them away from the cars in some way that 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 rethinks the way transportation is done on the campus. You bet. That's a really good point. Most of those bike lanes, or many of them, weren't there just three or four years ago. In fact, we went through uh, a similar, it wasn't quite as uh, the kind of the process we're talking about here. We went through a big conversation about bikes. Remember, we had the, the first rental bikes came to campus in about 14, somewhere in there. And uh, Suddenly, there were more than ever before. We uh, we put down some new lanes. We had some new rules and and uh, adjusted to that change and that new, uh, I guess you'll call it technology. And uh, so here we are, a few years later, with a new set of uh, of uh, vehicles and ways of getting around. And uh, very likely, we'll want to look for the next adjustment. Or maybe it, it might be physical, might just be some rules changes, might be a combination of both. And then to finish uh, uh, with your excellent question, the um, uh, there's been a steady uh, move toward making this a more um, pedestrian-friendly and and um, uh, conveyance-friendly campus, and. Um, you can look for us, and the master plan contemplates some additional steps over time that would uh, would do the, uh, take us in that direction. So you can you can expect uh, some more calls that uh, that make that uh, make make us a little more friendly to that to those modes. On another topic that relates to conversations with students, we talked a little bit on last month's program about your interactions having to do with the CVS uh, incident across the street from campus and and the subsequent conversations you had with students. And I wanted to kind of take that and go in a slightly different direction. You are somebody who is famous for stopping anybody and everybody you see on campus, sometimes to the detriment of your own schedule, getting places on time to talk to people. And I wondered if, as you've been reflecting on this this conversation you had with some students outside a student government meeting, if if that's going to change the way that you think about having these these kind of impromptu interactions with people, I don't think it it, it won't, and I don't think it should. Um, uh, you know, these interactions 
you're talking about. Um, and, and this is nothing new in this job. I've uh, It's a lesson I learned a long, long time ago, and I've shared with a lot of students who are thinking about their own future uh, roles and um, hopefully responsible positions that uh, I've always thought it was really important to keep uh, uh, in touch with I usually say ground level, whatever that is. It could be the customers of a business, certainly involve the voters or the citizens, rather, of a state. Uh, here, um, students, faculty, staff, and so forth. Um, and uh, these encounters, you say talk with people, it's mainly listening to people. And um, no, I, don't, I think that to do the job well, you have to be able to, uh, um, first of all, be open and get a... Uh, and stay accessible to information that might otherwise get filtered uh, coming on its way to you. And uh, secondly, I think it, I hope it sends a good signal to people that they count and people somebody's interested in what they have to say and how things are going for them. I think there's importance in that. And finally, it's fun. I mean, it's a lot of it, it's it's fun to, for me at least to meet uh, people, whether they're students or uh, somebody on the on the faculty or staff that. I didn't know before. So, no, uh, it just, uh, uh, that won't change, shouldn't change, and and uh, uh, it, it's a huge net plus even if there's been a stumble along the line. Another sort of campus communication-related topic that I wanted to talk to you about was President Trump signing an executive order that declares discrimination against Judaism as the same as discrimination on the basis of national origin. That's a move that that uh, has been pitched as a way to curb anti-Semitic behavior on college campuses across the country. Others, though, say, eh, we worry a little bit that it might limit free speech. That struck me as something I wanted to ask you about because Purdue has had for a couple of years now a pretty open, wide-ranging free speech policy. What is your position on on that executive order? Oh, first of all, I've been troubled for a long time, years now, about the um, recurrence or the the rise of anti-Semitism here and abroad. It's it's, it's some somebody's labeled it uh, the world's oldest bigotry, and I suppose historically it is, and um, uh, it's uh, very vexing, very troublesome, and to me. Uh, it's surprising and ironic that very often it re- has reared its head in higher education. Um, so let, so I don't, I don't think we should object to a statement that shines a spotlight on it and hopefully will make people think twice before doing it. Happily, we've not had I, I can remember one potential incident here in recent times. There was a uh, rather prompt uh, reaction to it and uh, hasn't recurred. So um, um, I don't have an objection to this, and uh, it doesn't change our policies about speech, so that uh, um, which are to uh, uh, to uh, uh, not to condone or even to condemn. Um, sometimes to condemn a speech that is um, in any way um, biased, but um, but to uh, remain a place where people are allowed to say what they think. Let's just hope that it never takes this character. In our last few minutes here, I just want to do a little bit of 
looking forward into 2020 and looking back at, at 2019, um, I wanted to ask what you're looking at as the 2020 legislative session starts. It's not a budget session, so there's not as many monetary concerns as perhaps there were at the beginning of this year. What are you keeping an eye on? What should the university community be keeping an eye on, do you think? I mean, at the state level? Yeah. Uh, well, to be honest, we don't have a big wish list. You know, we just finished the... Um, in a way, the biggest year in Purdue history in terms of, I'll call it the affirmation of our value to the state of Indiana. Um, they, uh, the state maintained its higher ed spending, which meant that ours uh, stayed roughly the, the same And uh, but uh, in terms of operational dollars. But on top of that, as you'll recall, they, the state decided not only to fund a very large part of our gateway project, which accommodates growth in both engineering and the Polytechnic Institute as we become ever more a, a uh, uh, capital, really, of STEM education. A big gift for the vet school, too. And the vet school, which addressed a problem that really couldn't wait much longer. And there's never been a year in our history, maybe any Indiana universities, uh, any in, in, uh, Indiana state universities history with... Uh, uh, two uh, capital uh, investments of that kind. And so uh, uh, when I go visit the state legislature, I've, I've often said to them, in this day, in this age, in this economy, if Indiana didn't have a Purdue University, you'd be trying to create one. And I think that uh, that uh, message has been uh, received and embraced, and I think you saw that this year. This coming year, as you, as you said, it's not a budget year. Um, You'll recall, Stan, that um, that we have tried to be very um, uh, restrained uh, uh, and respectful of the job the state legislature has. I've um, gone each year and said, here's our case. Here's what Purdue is doing in planning, and we think it really warrants your uh, strong support, that this is one of the priceless assets the state of Indiana has in this age. But we'll accept any decision you make. We've think I'm right. We've never complained about a call they've or a level that the, of spending, and we won't this coming year. But um, you know what the state of Indiana can do for us is continue to have a great, strong economy and uh, um, from which uh, we benefit means that that they'll have they'll continue to be in one of the strongest fiscal conditions of any state. and that gives us some assurance that we won't have a, a severe jolt anytime soon. And uh, so we appreciate what they're doing, but I don't, I don't expect to put a lot of uh, demands on them. Give them a year off. Lastly, as you look back on, on 2019, if you would, give me one thing that happened that you thought, a good thing that happened, that you thought didn't have a, a snowball's chance in Hawaii of happening, and one thing that, that you were kind of sad that didn't happen and that you think that you, you thought was going to occur but you're like, gee, we got to spend a little more effort on that. Well, I'll give a short answer to the uh, second one. It was the Virginia game at the uh, Elite <laughs> Eight, <laughs> which should have happened and almost happened. I thought it happened, and then it didn't happen. Uh, cause, uh, Anything relating to university uh, policy uh, <laughs> other than athletics? Yeah. Um, gee, um, I, I thought we had... Um, a, a very successful year. I, I, we did, um, once again, overachieve in terms of growth 
and that's a that's not a surprise because necessarily because it's happened in other recent years, but uh, we weren't sure uh, going in that that would occur. It's not occurring at so many other places. And um, but I've, as we're talking, I've just come from my weekly meeting with the folks in enrollment, and we're as always raise the bar and the target for next year and hope to have another positive success. All right. Well, uh, this is the time we've got. Thanks, as always. Uh, We look forward to doing it again next year. Happy holidays to you and yours. Same to you. And we'll talk to you soon. This has been Indiana Public Broadcasting's monthly conversation with Purdue President Mitch Daniels. Remember, you can always email questions for this show to ask at wbaa.org. And on the page at wbaa.org, you can find archived versions of this program as well. Thanks for listening on your Indiana Public Broadcasting throughout 2019. We look forward to serving you again in 2020. I'm Stan Jastrzewski. Have a good day.